That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, Jake, we just spent like 45 minutes preparing for this, about 40 minutes of which was a political discussion, <laughs> which you won. <clears throat> but I think it shows oh, yeah. uh, where everybody's heads are these days as we're as we're recording. As we this will be released for Sunday, October twenty fifth, which is can we just say the uh, well, it's not quite the last Sunday before the election day, but it is uh, pretty close to it. The Sunday after this is November November first. All Saints. That's that's the last time to pray for the election on Sunday. Uh, but it's on people's minds. So Jake, mm. who should we vote for? <laughs> Well, I don't know who you should vote for, but I do know who is our king, mm. and uh, that is Jesus. And that uh, you and I, well, we may be here right now and are citizens of this country. We have an eternal citizenship by virtue of our baptism in the age that is to come, where um, we are, uh, will be, uh, where, we, uh, where uh, our gracious Lord reigns right now and will reign forever. Keep that in mind, folks. And there uh, will be Democrats and Republicans gathered around that throne amen. and uh, singing his name and also members of the Green Party. A libertarian uh, or two. And libertarian or two. And uh, who knows? Maybe uh, members of the, well, I don't know. But anyway, here we are. Possibly even the so, French. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's always good <laughs> it's to good. remember that Jesus' ministry took place under the Roman Empire. Christians could not have been less significant or have fewer political levers to pull than in the early yeah. days of Christianity. Uh, and so um, Christianity was a religion I, for losers. It was the outskirts. It was like the dumps. It was the worst. Everybody that had power was not a Christian. And, uh, and Rome was the worst in terms of mm. human rights, economics, all these things. They, were, they had yeah. a really strong military, and they make your life difficult if you were poor. But, and that's the world in, in which Jesus was born and Christianity was born. <laughs> And, uh, and, and grew and flourished. Um, so all right. I have to say is we Christians have lived in, in pretty difficult times, and uh, we'll get through this. Yep. Nobody in the Roman Empire ever thought, well, I wonder what the Christian voting bloc is thinking. <laughs> Nobody. And so and uh, the Christian voting bloc uh, was never like, how can we leverage our power? Yeah. Um, uh, they were there, and they served, and they loved their enemies, and um, eventually quite possibly moved to Mexico and joined pan so anyway uh so <laughs> that's a that's a mexican political party uh which also is the word for bread uh yeah. jacob smith deep scholar of mexican politics and history don't be fooled by his pale skin uh mm. and don't be tricked by my brown skin jake knows way more than i do about all this stuff but having skirted dangerously close to the political <laughs> arena let's bring it back to the bible and talk about some readings for the 21st sunday after pentecost after this, there are only um, four more Sundays in the season after Pentecost, and then we're going to hit um, uh, uh, Christ the King, and then move into um, 
other things. So Christ the King. Uh, you know, that's a great holiday. So um, yeah, we're going to move into Advent, which is the best reminded, time of the whole year. It'd be a great, a great thing to really celebrate after an election. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter if, who's president. We got Christ the King. That's what we're doing here. So let's take a look at Deuteronomy 34, well, verses 1 through 12. Can I just uh, log one no. vestment complaint, speaking of Advent, coming up in, in about five, six Ooh. weeks? What's so that? I was watching the new Adam Sandler Halloween comedy, which is terrible. Don't watch it. It's called Hubi Halloween. It's on Netflix. Uh-huh. Uh, and... Um, Stick with Happy Gilmore and uh, uh, old stuff from the Adam Sandler can- canon. Don't uh, don't watch this movie. <laughs> but in it, a priest is doing a funeral in October. A Catholic priest, Father Dave, standing graveside wearing a blue chasuble. And it's like, so first of all, it should be white because it's a funeral, resurrection. Mm-hmm. But in terms of season of the year, it's the end of October for Halloween, so if anything, like again, white for all saints, maybe some people do red for all saints. I don't know what Catholic vestment mm-hmm. rules are, but definitely not blue. Pretty sure it's not supposed to be blue. So people write strongly worded letters to Netflix and get them a liturgical consultant. You know, that really, really irritates me a lot of the time. I mean, just here's a gripe. But, um, you know, you look at like all sorts of shows like Grey's Anatomy and ER, and they actually did their research you know, that when they would say, like, give me 50cc stat, like, they weren't just making that up. They had, like, consulted, like, physicians and emergency room people yes. uh, to get to get the right lingo. And nobody ever does that with church shows except for The Rev, which came out, which is timeless and amazing on the BBC. I think you can watch it on Hulu or Amazon Prime. Yep. But, um, you know, in this country, it's just such sloppy work. I remember there was um, a, a show on NBC called The Book of Daniel um, that came out— uh, in the early 2000s, and I remember it was about an Episcopal priest, um, but talk about no research. And the guy was in positions that just no, were un, unbelievable. Like, you know, um, his like daughter is sleeping with the warden's son and like, you know, and the bishop was sleeping with her dad. And it's just so weird. And they kept referring to each other as Episcopals. Uh, <laughs> like, oh man. Clearly I've hit a deep so, vein here. Uh, yeah. Grantchester also saved church violations up and down six ways from Sunday. So let's 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 get back to the Bible here. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. Do you, we can talk more about no. this later. Um, Hashtag safe church. That's right. But, so the readings we have for today are Deuteronomy 34, Moses dies. Uh, it's the end of the Moses story, or is uh, it? And then mm. we have uh, a reading from First Thessalonians, where St. Paul is writing to the church that he helped start in this Greek city. And then we have Jesus near the end of his life, you know, just uh, teaching a blue streak, just getting and, and owning the Pharisees here. It's a cage match, and Jesus is the only one that comes out of the cage. Yeah, so, it's round three. Uh, yeah, so let's so. jump in here. Deuteronomy 34. Moses goes up from the plains of Moab, also known as Jordan, to Mount Nebo, mm-hmm. top of Pisgah, which is a mountain in North Carolina. A lot of people don't know. National Forest. <laughs> and uh, uh, near Jericho, which is the city you could still go through today. And so basically, mm-hmm. they're looking down on the promised land, the thing that Moses has been leading them to for 40 years. We're skipping way ahead here to the end. And he sees the whole thing. And as God's, far as Zoar. As far as Zoar, which reminds me of that. It's like the name of one of the bad guys in the original Superman movie. I think it's the same. I love it. The city of palm trees. Yeah, that's right. Let me give you the little little details there. Jericho, the city of palm trees. Uh, 
Also, a large sycamore tree to remind you of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Zacchaeus. And uh, a couple old, big old casinos that aren't very active today, just hang there. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway. So uh, they, um, they, yeah, Moses sees this with the Lord and says, this is the land which I promised to give Abraham and his descendants, but you're not going to go there. Uh, and it's like the next verse. And Moses died. Walk, walk. Yeah, so it's the end of his life. And, you know, this is because Moses had struck the rock. He wasn't supposed to strike the rock. He kind of violated a rule. It was a technicality, but it showed that he didn't. And he took credit. He didn't he was trust like, how the much Lord. More do we have, yeah. How much more do we have to do for you? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so basically, what do you mean we, Kimosabi? Yeah, that's right. And so he's buried, and then Joshua, son of Nun. See, clearly there was another safe church violation in that at, uh, you know, nunnery, Joshua was the son of a nun. I mean, what was going on there? Uh, I was waiting for Jake to get it. There's the groan. It was such a bad dad joke. It was terrible, but I, <laughs> I come by it honestly. I am I am a dad. Uh, and so, yeah, they mourn for Moses, and Joshua leads them in, uh, and it just says that Moses was super great. Now, this seems at face value like an eminently kind of possibly difficult to preach passage just because it's like this arcane stuff and there's a lot of geography in it and Moses is yeah. an old-timey guy and there's there's nothing where God is saying something that's really meaningful and powerful to us. But, the, but there is, for the Christian here, some really deep meaning in that it's sort of a statement about the the law not being able to ultimately do what we needed to do. Moses, who's the great lawgiver, does not actually get into the promised land, which as Christians we see that as pointing to another, another way that we're going to be able to have uh, connection to God, um, reconciliation to God, and it's not ultimately going to be through the law. Through a lawgiver. That's right. And, uh, you know, and it's true. If you ever go to um, take a pilgrimage to Israel and Palestine, um, if your tour guide is is worth it, um, I recommend Iyad Kumri. Um, but um, Shout out. he will take you right up to the edge there in in the desert, and uh, you will look over into Jordan, and you will see the plains of Moab, and uh, and he will say Moses is buried out there somewhere. Um, and I think that there is um, there's a couple of things here. The reason where where is Moses buried? Well, who knows. Um, he's out there in the plains of Moab somewhere, but the instinct would be to want and go, want to go and grab him, and bring him in, kind of in what he represents, the law. You know, kind of we always want to bring the law everywhere we go. We want to bring the law into our freedom, and what the what the land that um, God swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob represents is freedom. It is a type and a shadow of the age that is to come where a people are really, really free. They are no longer enslaved. This is a type and shadow of things that are to come when you and I finally pass because of the parting of the Red Sea at our baptisms. We pass through death and come into a new age um, where um, a new promised land that has been promised to us because our earthly sojourn is over. But Moses cannot get you there. That's right. Um, you need uh, Joshua, son of David. You know, uh, this is a pointing to Jesus um, because Moses can't get you in there. So what's another name for Joshua? Jesus. Yeshua. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. 
because uh, and he makes his way because he is not the lawgiver. He is the law fulfiller, and he fulfills the law that Israel could not obey. And he makes his way, and uh, through his resurrection and ultimately ascension on the same cloud that led Israel through the wilderness, leads us into that paradise as well, where the law is no more. Yeah, that's right. And I, I do want to say one little, I mean, that, that's it, Jake. And that's what you say about this passage. The law doesn't get it done. It points us to another, the, the next Joshua, who's going to be Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. But the other thing that's just sort of an amazing side note here at the beginning of the chapter is that he says that he can see the whole land, Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, Ephraim and Manasseh, all the way to the Western Sea, which is to them, that's the Mediterranean. That's kind of the end of the known world. Mm-hmm. This description of the whole land the fact that you can see the entire Holy Land from one mountain with the human eye unaided just shows you what a small postage stamp on the earth this land is. And it is where all of redemption uh, takes place, all of salvation history. All of the Bible takes place in a land that's like basically the size of New Jersey, if not a little bit smaller. And that's just an amazing Delaware. thing that you can see it. What's that? Delaware. Yes. Yeah. You can see it from <laughs> one mountain. You get see, Yeah. It's so, uh, anyways, this is where it all happens, all these events right on top of each other. This is the whole land of the Bible that Moses can see. And, uh, and one of the places he would have been looking at, though he would not have known it at the time, is the place where the Messiah, the one who was to come. The person that he actually prophesied in Deuteronomy 18 when he said there would be another prophet to come, uh, where he would teach, uh, heal, do miracles, and ultimately die and rise from the dead. Moses was looking at that right now. And there's something very poignant in that, even though he doesn't know it. God is working and pointing us towards something yeah. greater. And, and that is tr- that's true. You know, and never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And he was unequaled for all of the signs and wonders uh, that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt. And, you know, this is this is this is an amazing thing. He's looking out at the trans the mount. He would see the mount where eventually he would right. meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And as the um, writer to the Hebrew says, you know, we stand on greater promises. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, Jesus, all of these wonders and signs in the book of Exodus, ultimately, as we've talked about, point and find their fulfillment in Jesus. Yeah. So that he can give you a better promise, which is this is my body broken for you. Uh, this is my blood shed for you. Yeah. Um, and uh, that is that is, the good news of the gospel is just embedded in this yeah. as a foreshadow. And that is, it's so cool to think about one of the things, this is actually a new insight for me as we were preparing for this. This passage reminded me that when Moses is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, which I think was actually the daily office reading for this morning. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Maybe. Uh, when Joseph is, or when Moses is on the mountain with Jesus and Elijah, he actually is getting to set foot in the promised land. Yeah, and so there's this beautiful. beautiful, gracious movement of of God the Father in allowing Moses, who here in this passage, he's kind of kept out, but it's not the end of the story. And it's just a, it's just a beautiful picture of kind of, and, and the fact that when he does enter the promised land, it's because it's he's talking to Jesus. And again, Jesus is the one that reconciles all of us uh, to God. And that, so, yeah, it's just, that is beautiful. That's beautiful actually, because, you know, if you read the, if you read the scripture and you listen to the scriptures read in a lot of synagogues, this is the end of Moses's story, Yeah, you know, and, um, and, uh, when you die, that's the end of your story too. Uh, nobody in four generations is going to know where you're buried. 
I mean, that is a heavy, heavy duty idea. There's a potter's field actually in north of Manhattan, uh, in between Manhattan and the Bronx. And, um, uh, and uh, it was it's a potter's field, but there in the middle of that potter's field is a giant statue of an angel. And it was actually built by the people of Calvary Church. And it says down below, he knows them all by name. Mm. And uh, the powerful thing is, is that in Jesus, um, you will not be forgotten. Uh, he knows exactly where you're at. And uh, in him, he's going to bring you into the promised land as well. Wow. Well, that is a beautiful thing. And speaking of promised land, we move now to Thessalonians, where St. Paul has left the promised land because he's been <sighs> taking the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, this message of grace for sinners outside of the bounds of Israel. And uh, he's writing now to the church in Thessalonica. This was part of Paul's uh, s sort of stream of church planting throughout what would become to be known as Europe uh, when he gets into Greece. And Thessalonica is one of those places. And he had just come from Philippi. He went to Thessalonica, planted this church there. And then after having left, he's now writing to them in First Thessalonians 2, uh, is what we're doing this morning, verses 1 through 8, or this coming Sunday morning. And uh, he is dealing with a bunch of different stuff. Uh, he's dealing with um, the the fact that he's got opponents in ministry. Uh, and we're picking up the conversation. Whenever you read the epistles, It's if you're not starting in, at the beginning and reading to the end, you're kind of picking up a conversation in the middle of this uh, of the thought of the writer, in this case, St. Paul. And the thing that he's dealing with here is the fact that there are clearly people who are not in the St. Paul fan club. Uh, they don't like him, they don't like his methods, and they don't like his message. And apparently he may have been accused of some sort of trickery, some tomfoolery, some shenanigans, mm -hmm. possibly some hijinks, so that he has to say to them, our appeal to you does not spring from deceit or impure motives or... Trickery. trickery. Yeah, no trickery. So what would you what would you say about this, Jake? Don't trick your congregations. Well, I, yeah, um the, the, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I would say that uh that very thing. So I mean, the point is is in the accusation is oftentimes the world does want to accuse us based on our actions. So for example, here at Calvary St. George's, we've got this crazy woman um, who throws um, pigeon seed into our garden all the time. And the pigeons just come in and they, um, they not only eat all of the seeds, but they eat the flowers, they defecate everywhere. And then it attracts rats and it's a big mess. And so there was one day I just got so fed up and this woman came with her big bag of seed and we just started throwing it in our yard and I started sweeping it out. You know what I mean? And uh, sweeping the seed all over with the sidewalk. With maybe a little air of aggression about your sweeping. Well, I was sweeping aggressively. In the but, spirit uh, of St. Francis. And she, she looked at me and she was like, you know, you Christian, this isn't very Christian of you. What about St. Francis? Think about the animals. <laughs> and, you know, and she was like, she was like, why would anybody listen to you? You don't even love nature. And, uh, and so, but this is the point. Our appeal does not spring from street or even pure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be, we speak not to please mortals. But the point is, is that our message isn't like rooted necessarily in our actions. 
Our message is something uh, different from all of that. So she looked at your rude sweeping and said, how could you call yourself a Christian because you don't love the animals? Yeah, and that yeah. and that clearly everything you have to say is invalid. And that's what the world wants to do is write us all off immediately. Right. And so Paul is saying, look, we were trustworthy with you. And he also, and he's, so he's making a defense of his ministry and, and he ends, um, uh, and by the way, if you're wondering in verse two, I'll save you listeners, if you're an actual preacher and want to know what the background is, where he says, we were shamefully mistreated at Philippi. That's a reference to the story where they exercised a demon from a young girl who was, um, given a gift of kind of telling the future. And she brought her owners a lot of money. She was a slave girl and they cast the demon out of her. And then the people got mad at Paul for doing that. And there was a big thing, and they were arrested and put in jail, and then they were just thrown out of town. They had they got bailed out. So, anyways, that's how they ended up in Thessalonica. And so there's all these lies about Paul and his people being spread. Like you know, they're they're hucksters. They're you know they're they're like Jake sweeping out the pigeon seed from the garden. You know, don't trust these. They don't guys. like animals. No, they don't. Like, they don't like animals. They you know not only do they not like cats, they don't even like dogs. Everybody likes dogs, and so. Uh, but Paul is saying, look, you know us, you know who we are. We did not want to please people. We were only working because we want to please God. And he has this beautiful picture of reminding the Thessalonians, you can remember our ministry among you. We were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. It's a beautiful picture of what gospel ministry looks like. Yeah. And the other thing too is, is, I mean, this could be like, you know, I mean, they're accusing Paul of being like a prosperity preacher. Right. You know what I mean? He's in it for himself. He's in it for himself. He's in it. You know, he wants a jet uh, and he need, he's saying he needs a jet because he can't be on a regular airplane because he might get infected with demons. You know, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, but what yeah, Paul is saying is here is we never came in with the pretext of greed, nor did we seek praise for mortals. He's like, I'm not in this because I'm going to get the ladies. You know what I mean? He's like, I, we are in here because... Uh, we are apostles of Christ. Uh, the and, uh, preacher you're talking about called an airplane, a regular commercial airplane, a tube filled with demons. <laughs> but, you know, he's not wrong. I mean, there's kind of something to that. If you've flown commercially. Oh, Jesse Duplantis. Yeah. I mean, that is a huckster right there. All of those guys are hucksters. We can just call it out. Lord have mercy. Um, and I, I mean, what's the what's his buddy's name? Uh, he is a real one. Um, Kenneth Copeland? He's in t- good grief. <laughs> And, uh, Sorry if and we're offending guy, people out there. Just you know, listen, listen. You need to know. Yeah. And so anyway, test but, it against uh, um, the word of God. <laughs> so, but uh, he, you know, he's like, we're not in this, but uh, um, for, for, for we're not in this for the money. And so, but uh, the truth is, is this is the powerful thing. Um, I think in the pastoral implications is what Paul talks about here. You know, the gospel. There's like this. There's this like. Uh, there is this divide in in the church today where either it's all about the people and all about the relationship and all about the community and all about the social justice and all about the soup kitchen, but no gospel. Like anybody can do that. And then there's this other side where it's, you know, preaching, 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 didactic, 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 pedagogy, pedagogy, pedagogy. You never see the pastor like he's in the back with a bowl of green M&Ms. I remember literally we like hosted um, one particular massive church um, and uh, they were asking where they could have a green room uh, and uh, they like had all of these insane demands to set up for the pastor um, to be there. And he didn't know anybody there. He was like basically a preacher and sneaker celebrity. Yeah. And so but there's this there's this and what Paul is saying is that the two come together. 
the two, there is, there's a reason we're called pastors, you know what I mean? And that's because we care for the flock. And so we're not just there teaching things and, and making sure the flock stays, but we care for the flock. We're present for it. And so the two go hand in hand. Yeah. And so he says, we give you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. There's, so, yeah. there's, there's a personal connection there, a personal love. And if you're in pastoral ministry, and you know, I've, I've seen this as someone before I was ordained and as a pastor, like that personal connection does matter so much. And it does. Um, if you're just, a and so- you know, this, yeah, go ahead. And this connects to the Philippi passage, you know what I mean, with Paul. And I'm, you've, I've heard it preached by several terrible, horrid, putrid preachers about how, like, how you do know, you really the problem feel about him, was, Jake? was that Paul, like, didn't recognize the diversity in this woman. And so that he, like, actually suffered the punishment for casting the demon out of her. But no way. He, like, cared about this, like, this person. I mean, this person's possessed by a demon. And as yeah. a result, he goes to jail. And, uh, you know, and Paul was was the pastor who laid his life down for his sheep. Yeah. And uh, so are you. Yep. You know what I mean? You were doing this in the midst of COVID, not looking for another job, you know. Uh, and uh, your people, I think, in the midst of this whole thing have become dear to you as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the gospel according to St. Matthew. This passage in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 46, which is Jesus, he's... It's, this is between Palm Sunday and Good Friday, and he is in the temple in Jerusalem. He's been teaching. He has recently had an encounter with the Sadducees, which is one group of sort of intellectual, enlightened, um, not into myths or superstition, Jewish leaders. Uh, and then the Pharisees, who are a little bit more like the fundamentalists, come because Jesus was able to shut down the Sadducees, which the Pharisees were like, sweet, because uh, yes. now we can go up against Jesus and show those Sadducees that we're actually better. Because Jesus was sort of a, a problem for them both. The Pharisees did not like the Sadducees. And so the fact that the Sadducees were unable to take down uh, Jesus, uh, it's like, well, w- we can get this done. And then we'll win points against the Sadducees. So not really coming at it with the purest motives. So they gather together. And it's you can almost imagine that they're like, well, what, what do we ask him? How are we going to shut him down? Well, I know how we'll do it. He's been he's been off the reservation in that he's not keeping the Sabbath. He's not being a stickler for the laws of Moses. He's not you know he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He's he's being done all kinds of things that make you ceremonially unclean. He's touching lepers. It's just he's touching blind people. He's touch, it's the worst touching women who are bleeding. And so they go up to him and say, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Because they want to be able to kind of trap him in saying something. And they say, ah, but you didn't do that. And he says famously in what is still used in Anglican and Episcopal liturgy around the world as the summary of the law. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, if you're far That's ahead, right. if you're not too far ahead in liturgy planning, you can actually, if you're an Episcopal clergy person, you could... You could write one this next coming Sunday service, and you could actually have the summary of the law in the service. And Such a great idea. Hey, Such you know, a great idea, it's right? not just preaching it's advice amazing. here. We give liturgical <laughs> advice, too. We could be liturgical yeah. consultants on TV if anybody would ask us. Don't wear blue at a funeral. That's so, but uh, it's very, and I think it's very important to uh, to notice here, though, is um, the amount of the the use of the word love in this moment and mm-hmm. what it's associated with. 
Uh, you know, love is the summary of the law. Uh, you know, it's the love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. How's that working for you? Uh, love is the summary of, you know, the other tablet as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, um, you know, uh, as uh, that band Nazareth once sang in 1976, love hurts. Not only hurts, it kills. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and so... Um, uh, so he he hits them there, and they just kind of it stumps them. Yeah, and it so they're gathered together, and so he then he says, again, I always say, as I quote Zoolander, let me answer your question with another question. Oh, uh, I know what I wanted to say. Yeah, really say quick it before that though. So so, but love you love God is the law. Uh, God loves you in Jesus Christ is the gospel. Mm. You know what I mean? So we remember when you're making a proper distinction between the law and the gospel, the law always puts the onus on you and what you do. And the gospel puts the onus on Jesus and what he's done. Mm. And so Jesus loves you is the gospel. That's right. And the Pharisees who don't really know how to respond to Jesus's answer, because now he's kind of shut them up. He then <laughs> has a question for them. And he says, who do you think is the Messiah? What's the capital of Pennsylvania? <laughs> <laughs> what is the speed of a, uh, an African swallow? Well, us, yeah. uh, um, a laden, unladen swallow. Uh, European or African? I don't know. <laughs> ah. Okay, enough money python. Uh, whose son is the Messiah? And this would seem like a softball question. Uh, and, um, uh, and, you know, the backdrop to all this, of course, is that People think that Jesus is the Messiah. The Pharisees do not think that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he's, again, um, kind of trying to do to them what they did to him. He's trying to catch them in something. And so he said, what do you think of Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said, easy answer. We learned it in Sunday school in sixth, in like, you know, fifth grade. Yeah. He's the son of David. David himself said, like, you know, or God said to David, like, you're, you'll always be somebody on your throne and... It's repeated in the Psalms and all this sort of stuff. Um, and then Jesus says, but wait a second. I, I, I kind of think of him leaning in close. Um, how is it then? Kind of like a little bit of a Columbo question, like he's smoking a cigar. Mm -hmm. It's like, so how, how is it then that David, it's by good, the Spirit, it's good. calls him Lord, saying, and then he quotes from the Psalms, which David wrote this Psalm, sit at my right hand until I put my enemies under your feet. Um, the Lord said to my Lord, Meaning David wrote, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to my Messiah. So clearly the Messiah is the person who David calls Lord. So you would never call, yeah, your descendant, your Lord. So kingship is eternal. And uh, you know what I mean? And uh, kingship is as, as long as the person lasts. And so um, the, no king would ever refer to his son as a Lord. Yeah, it's always it's always just watch Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? No one is ever referencing the king as um, um, like the king is never referencing anyone below them as a lord. And a son is always below. However, this son is different. This is the eternal son of God. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and if you need to know where this is coming from, Jesus is quoting Psalm 101 um, and. Uh, and, and basically using it to show to the, to the Pharisees that Jesus, as you said, Jake, is this eternal king forever. Uh, and 
not not the same thing as what they're thinking of. So so basically, at that point, everybody is all the people who are questioning Jesus have 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 been silenced, which is really good because Jesus is getting ready to do his the main act. Um, uh, he's gonna yeah. he's gonna give some woes and uh, talk about the destruction of the temple, but but very soon he's gonna get arrested and. Um, and, and he uh, will have his coronation on a cross. That's right. And uh, this is this is the powerful thing. What, da- what Jesus is basically saying here, he's implying to all of these people, is that uh, my life, my kingship, actually brings validity to the king to David. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, without without me, David's kingdom is over. That's right. <laughs> but uh, I um, am going to give it validity. I mean, this is what he's sending back to them in like a in a question form. And the truth is, is that he has he was crowned. Um, behold, the king of the Jews. I don't think Pontius Pilate knew exactly what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And as king of the Jews, he is the king of the whole world. And his resurrection from the dead is the vindication of that. His resurrection from the dead is the sign and the seal of that. And in his resurrection, now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, this Yeshua, son of David, has placed all of the enemies, all of your enemies and all of his enemies under his foot. Uh, That is sin, death, and the devil. And believe me, his kingdom is coming and it will have no end, as we confess. And again, I think there's a message here in a political season where people then wanted a political ruler to fix their problems and to defeat their enemies and to make things work out well for them. Uh, and that's what was encapsulated in the hope for a Messiah who was the son of David, who was a Davidic monarch who could rule in Jerusalem, who could put down Caesar and could restore everything for the Jews and make sure there was a chicken in every pot, a kosher chicken in every well-washed kosher pot. And, uh, and Jesus says, no, we need something more. And so the good news here is that this passage is pointing to is that we do have more. We do have someone mm. who is greater than the land, who's greater than just one group of people, who is for everyone and who solves the problems for everyone, not just an oppressive political regime, but the problems that are inside us, the things that we cannot control, the things mm. that come out unbidden, our, um, the, the sin, the flesh, the world, the devil, all those sorts of things. But those things that are within you, um, Come on. Jesus is going to deal with all of those things. So, he, so the, the the amazing thing here is Jesus here is totally ending the idea that he comes to be some sort of political savior, but that he's really going to be a savior for the whole world, which means for you, listeners, a savior for you and what you actually need saving from in your own life. And if, if Jesus was just a Davidic monarch, we wouldn't have any of that. So praise God that Matthew 22 is in there to remind us of that, that we're not looking for a David king we're looking for the king of kings uh, as jake has so beautifully pointed out you know the, his crown is one of thorns and his throne is a cross hallelujah so that's All great right. well i think that's a great place to end high five across the zoom screen mm-hmm. there we go so. All right. well thank you listeners god bless and uh you know preach well and if you are preached to be open to what the holy spirit is saying to you and uh and if it's not any good then just listen to this podcast again <laughs> God bless. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, 
We would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.